growing up up in Michigan, and I was probably not unlike most kids this time of year, that I really loved Christmas time. And what's not to love, really, right? Um, I love the food. Uh, my mother was an incredible uh, baker, and I just remember Christmas time represents smells to me that that all kinds of be- uh, breads and cookies and sweets and all that stuff uh, around the house. I love the music. Uh, I'm not a huge music guy, but there is something kind of special about Christmas music, and I love listening to the music. I told you about this last year, but uh, if you haven't listened to uh, the the uh, the Grinch by Darius Rucker, um, it's it's a really really great rendition of that. I love the music. Uh, as a kid, especially, I love the gift giving. Scott commented that he had done this too a couple weeks ago about uh, getting the catalog and marking the gifts that you wanted and kind of leaving them strategically around the house, hoping that your parents um, w- would would see them. Uh, there was a lot to love. That that Christmas comes with uh, with Christmas comes uh, um, hope and expectation and joy. But I have to be honest with you, even as a kid, there were some things happening around Christmas time that would create a little bit of fear in my heart, right? I remember as, I, as growing up, I would watch these movies that it seemed like in a lot of the Christmas movies that I watched, it seemed that at some point Santa kind of dropped the ball, right? Um, in some movies, a major part of his operation uh, at the North Pole, like, shut down. In a lot of movies, that happens. And to be totally honest with you, Santa seems totally befuddled by this, by, by how to fix the problem. Uh, in multiple stories, there's uh, uh, usually somebody like the Grinch or an enemy that's trying to sabotage uh, Christmas. And again, Santa seems ill-prepared uh, to, to handle that. Um, and, and then there's the whole thing about the naughty and nice list uh, as a kid. You might imagine that different years I was on different sides of that coin. Um, and, and so there, there were years that that created uh, some anxiety and some fear in me. So by and large, around Christmas time, there's expectation and hope and joy. But on this other side of it, if I'm honest, there was some fear, right? There, there was some fear in my heart. And today I want to start out by asking a question. We're not going to completely answer this question, but I think you'll, you'll have an answer to the question by the end. But the sermon's not completely about this, but I want to start out by asking this question. And it's kind of a weird question to ask at Christmas, uh, so forgive me for that, but I, I want to get into this a little bit. And here's the question. Should we be afraid of God? Should we be afraid of God? This is a time of year that we celebrate a, a lot. It's a time of celebration. But should there be a sense of fear and trepidation in our hearts when it comes to our relationship with God? And there certainly seems to be some verses that would indicate that this is the case. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 8.13, the the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. Matthew 10.28, and do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Merry Christmas. I want you to consider for a minute some of the attributes of God as we kind of delve a little bit deeper into this question of, should we be afraid of God? Consider some of his attributes, right? Some things we know about God, that he is all-knowing, that God knows everything. And I think we can accept the idea that God knows everything that we do, but consider for a moment that he knows everything that we think. Right? He knows the desires of our heart. He knows the conditions of our heart. He knows it all. I remember a certain song about Santa. You better watch out, 
This is a terrifying song. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not power. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town, and he knows if you've been sleeping. He knows if you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. That song is terrible. Why do we give that to children? He knows if you're sleeping, little boy. Yeah, yeah. it's a weird thing to give to kids. But anyway, um, the song scared me as a kid. But if you think about it, in a weird way, that is true of God. He knows all. And so should his knowledge of me, should his knowledge of me cause me to be afraid of him, even terrified, the idea that, man, God knows too much. He knows me too well. So we consider that he's all-knowing. Considering that he's, consider that he's also all-righteous, that he is the embodiment of righteousness and good. I think we become cavalier about our sin when we become cavalier about God. I think sometimes we overvalue our goodness and our righteousness because we don't understand how good, holy, and righteous our God is. There's a verse that says, our righteous deeds are but filthy rags in comparison to the greatness and glory and righteousness of of God. Consider this text from Isaiah. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. All right, imagine this for a minute. I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on the throne. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I I cried. I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord God Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hands, which he had taken from the tongs of the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and see, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. It's an amazing text. And it's an amazing thing for him to have seen. And so when I consider that text and the holiness and the righteousness and the perfection of God, should that cause me to be afraid of God? When I understand his righteousness and the fact that I am a sinner, when I understand that he is holy and I am most certainly not, when I understand that he is perfect and I am far from it, should I be afraid? Consider his justice. This is the one that puts the other two together, I think, that God knows everything. He is righteous. God's justice teaches this, that God must, by his character and by the nature of who he is, God is required to deal with, my, with our sin. We sometimes have this misunderstanding of God. We'll talk about this more later, but the misunderstanding is that like Old Testament God was kind of like a Grinch and grumpy, right? And, and he was just in a really, really bad mood. And then in the New Testament, God gets happy, Right? And God, and God decides to start letting sin go and to turn the other way. And that's really not true. The Bible says God is the same yesterday, today, and for, forever. And by his nature, because of his character, he must deal with sin. The difference between the Old and the New Testament is how God chooses to deal with that sin. But make no mistake about it, he must deal with it. So should that make me afraid? Should I be 
afraid of God. So I think it's clear from the biblical text when we talk about the fear of God that we should have a healthy, a healthy knowledge, understanding, and respect of God's holiness and righteousness and character. I think that is super clear from the text that when it comes to who God is, we gotta have a healthy respect understanding and knowledge of his holiness, his righteousness, and, per- and his perfection. That is clear. Now, the response to God, that can go one of two ways. And you see this in, in, the, you see this in the Bible, you see people lean one way or the other. That when people see God's holiness, righteousness, and perfection, they usually respond in one of two ways. One is fear and hiding. One is fear and hiding. I, uh, I enjoy uh, getting a good Giphy, right? It, it's this app that produces these memes for social media. And the other day I was re- doing some research for this sermon. I said, I'm just kind of curious what would come up if I typed in the words, God hates. So I typed in, and you get all the memes that you would expect to get about different people groups that people believe that God hates and all, all of this stuff. But there was one that took me aback. It was a guy at a rally and he was holding a placard just loud and proud holding this placard. And the placard said, God hates dinosaurs. It's like, wait, what? It's like, God hates dinosaurs. God, what what are we doing? Wait, what is this? And this guy, for whatever reason, he really believed that God hates dinosaurs. It was a new one for me, but I think a lot of people have this view of God. That he knows everything, he is holy, he must deal with sin. He, he, he knows my sin. And here's the unhealthy take a, lot, a, a turn a lot of people make is that God knows everything and he's really angry and he's looking for a good smoting. And you maybe wouldn't phrase it this way, but many, many people end up running from God and hiding from God because they are afraid of God. They see his holiness and they see his righteousness and they believe he's angry and out to get them. And so once or twice a year, like at Easter and Christmas, they'll come to church to make grandma happy. But the rest of the year, they want very little to do with God. They stay away from him, not because they don't believe. Understand this. They don't stay away because they don't believe. They stay away because they do. And they are terrified of God. They are terrified. They, They are fearful of him. They believe that he is out to get them and that he is angry with them, but when you study the biblical text, that is not the only way to respond. It's not. There are people in the biblical text, I shared with you a passage earlier, that they see God's holiness, righteousness, and perfection, and their response is not terror and hiding. Their response is a reverential worship. Right, so, so the, there, there's two responses here. One is I see God's holiness and perfection and I run away scared, hiding, he's gonna get me. And another person sees God's holiness, righteousness and perfection and they lift their arms up and they worship him. As a side note, I don't want my kids to worship me, but the second is a little closer to I want what I want my kids to have when it comes to fearing me. I don't want my kids to be terrorized of me. I don't want them hiding from me, afraid I'm out to get them. I want them to have a healthy respect for me. And here's what I want you to understand. Here's what the rest of the sermon is about. Your understanding of one word, 
just one word and one concept will determine which camp you fall into. Your understanding of just one concept. So the rest of the sermon, we're just talking about one thing. For your understanding of one thing will determine when you see God's holiness, when you see God's righteousness, when you see God's holiness, when you have that moment where you see him, are you going to cower in fear or are you going to raise your hands and worship? Are you going to run away or are you going to run to your understanding of just one thing? And so that's why this thing, as soon as I say it in a few minutes, you're going to be like, Steve talks about this a lot. You are correct. I do talk about this a lot because this one thing, this one thing we're going to talk about shapes your understanding of God. It shapes your worship of God. It shapes how you interact with God. This one thing will change everything. So yeah, we talk about it a lot and we're going to talk about it today. I want to show you this in Mary's song. There's a, there's a, the Christmas has always played a super important role in the Christmas story. And Mary, when she finds out that she's going to give birth to the newborn king, Mary kind of erupts into this song. And it's in this song that you see this concept. So let me show it to you. Uh, it's from uh, Luke chapter one. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So I want you to see, first of all, in Mary's song, she does not diminish God's character at all. Right? Because the, 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 the knee-jerk in instinct would be, if I'm going to run to God, I understand that I'm a sinner, but if I'm going to run to God, somehow I have to bring God down. I have to bring God down a couple notch so that I can better relate to him. That is not what Mary does at all. Those are her descriptions of God. She says, holy is his name. She recognizes God's holiness. She says, he has performed mighty deeds. She's recognizing his might. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. She's recognizing his power. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. She's recognizing that God knows everything, including our thoughts. She's recognizing all the things that we have discussed about that are true about God. But you see in this song that her attitude is not terror and hiding and running away. But her attitude is worshipful. And I think Mary moved away from terror and hiding to worship because she understood one word. I'm going to put it on the screen for you. And here's the one word. Grace. She believed that while all those things are true about God, he is mighty, he is holy, he knows our inmost thoughts. While all of those are true about God, the other thing that is true about God is that he is a God of mercy and grace and love. Look at all the ways this comes out in the text. His mercy extends to those who fear him. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. He has filled the hungry with good things. He is a God of grace. So let me tell you what the gospel is not. The gospel is not all of a sudden in the New Testament, God gets happy and no longer cares about sin. 
not the gospel, right? We talked about that earlier. God still cares. He is still all-knowing. He still knows the conditions of our heart. He's still all-righteous. He's still holy. He's still just. He's still all that stuff. The gospel is not God doesn't care. The gospel is how God chooses to deal with it. How his righteousness, his holiness, and his character can be satisfied despite our sin. And here's what the gospel says. That God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The gospel says that God chose to send his son Jesus to live a perfect life, to go to the cross, and to pay for our sins on that cross. You see, here's the truth of the gospel. God knows your sin and he knows mine. But mercy is available. That's the gospel. God is still righteous and holy. God is still required to deal with sin. But instead of me paying for my sin, the gospel says, as the old song says, Jesus paid it some. No. No, you're you're asleep. That's not how the song goes. Jesus paid it all. All, Some of you are like, yeah, I think that's how the song goes. No, it's not. Jesus didn't pay it some. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. And people that are hiding from God and afraid of God and in terror of God, they forget this truth about God. He is a God of grace. And he offers his mercy and his love and his forgiveness to all. This Thanksgiving, uh, we went up to my sister's. She lives in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. And uh, while we were there, we were going to leave on Sunday. And on Saturday, they started talking about the snowstorm that was going to come through. And it was going to dump about five to eight inches of snow on the ground. And we were like, ah, they're good at, in the Upper Peninsula. They're, it's just a different people. And they're, they're not scared of snow. You know, we had people skip today probably because of, you know, five inches later. But um, anyway, that's my pastor coming out. Anyway. So they just deal with it up there. They're really, really good at it. And so they're talking about these five to eight inches of snow. I said, well, we were going to leave in the morning. Maybe we'll just leave in the afternoon and kind of see how it goes. Well, this pressure system comes down and traps this storm like over my sister's house, almost, and traps the storm. And instead of five to eight inches of snow, we ended up getting over the course of 24 hours, 22 inches of snow. It snowed and it snowed, and it snowed, and it snowed to the point where I'm like, should I be looking for property up here? Am I just living up here now? Like, am I just never leaving? I mean, and it got really, really weird, but I will tell you, that was Sunday. It stopped Sunday evening, and Monday morning, I was able to leave. I would not have left until New Year's if that hit Decatur. I'd just be in my house, 22, you know, and so they're, they're really good at it, but that snow, it was amazing. It just covered everything, and I want you to allow that to be an imagery of God's grace. We have sinned. We have. We have fallen short. We have made mistakes, but the snow has come. The snow has come, and it covers it all, that mercy and grace are available. This is the great gift of Christmas. It is the big one under the tree. 
It is that mercy and grace are available to us. Like Scott described so beautifully that we, one of the reasons we have so many gifts up here on the stage is that we wanted it to be a visual reminder that this is not just for me, this is available to everyone. But like any gift, it does require a response from me. Gifts are meant to be received and opened. So I remember a couple years ago, Sam was Lila's age. So Sam was two, so several years ago now. But um, that particular year, we had all of our family came into town that year. Everybody pretty much was there. And we had so many gifts under that tree. And Sam, as a two-year-old, we started opening them. And about partway through the morning, he got so overwhelmed by the amount of presents that were under the tree. And I remember we ended up just putting some of them in the basement. And he opened them like December 27th, 28th, and 29th. So he didn't even open all of his gifts uh, Christmas morning because he was so overwhelmed by the amount of gifts that were under that tree. And here's the thing that is true about gifts. They need to be received and they need to be opened. So the question is, how do you receive this gift called mercy and grace? And I think it starts with an understanding of who God is. We don't wanna diminish God at all to make ourselves feel better. Right? We don't want to bring God down to our level. So I think it starts with an understanding that no, he is holy. He is perfect. He is just. He is the God of the Bible that you read about. And then it goes from there. We move from an understanding of who God is to an understanding of who we are. I don't want to diminish myself either, that I am a sinner. I make mistakes. I screw up. That is what I have done. And then it goes to an understanding of what the gospel says. The gospel says that God must deal with sin. Understanding me says I am a sinner. And then the gospel says Jesus lays down a fresh blanket of snow and he forgives my sin and he offers me new life. And then it goes to a decision. Once you understand all that, it's a decision. Am I gonna follow? Am I gonna follow? Am I gonna trust in Jesus? Am I gonna make him my Lord, my Savior, and my King? Am I gonna receive his mercy and his grace, both in the form of forgiveness, but also part of his grace is that he leads me to new life? Am I gonna receive those things? And I'm telling you, when you understand this one thing, when you become a grace person, when you become a mercy person and you understand this one thing, you will move, when you understand God, you will move from an understanding of fear and hiding, you will move from that to a reverential worshiper. You will move to, from, from, from afraid to worship because you understand that yes he, under, yes, he deals with sin, yes, he's holy, yes, he's righteous, but mercy and grace are available to all. Mercy and grace are available to all that trust in Jesus. And to be honest with you, if you were to rip mercy and grace from your understanding of the scriptures, I can understand how God's character and who God is, I can understand how that would terrify you. You know, man, he's holy, he's righteous, he's all powerful, he must deal with sin, I'm a sinner, whoa! That's the original translation of that, right? <laughs> That creates a huge problem. But when you understand this one thing, that he is a God of mercy, he is a God of grace, and it is available to you. You still revere 
You still have that fear of understanding who he is, that, that uh, healthy dynamic of I understand God's holy, I understand he's righteous, but now instead of hiding from him, now I worship him. And here's why this is so important, I think, is that hand outstretched worship of God is who you were created to be. I believe God placed that desire inside of you to be a worshiper. And life only makes sense when we are exercising our worship of an all-knowing, uh, all-powerful, creative God. So I want you to know that mercy and grace and love are available to you through Jesus. And it starts, I love that we can start here and talk about kind of the whole Bible today. But it, but it really, this gift of Jesus it starts with this time of year that, that we're celebrating um, right now. We were just kind of, remin- Cheryl and I were just reminiscing this morning about, uh, I love the Facebook memories that, that come up to remind you of certain things. And I think I would have remembered this anyway, but December 15th is the day we got to bring our, our daughter home, 10 days before Christmas. She'd been born November 27th and was in kind of a, a foster situation until some legal stuff got done. And then December 15th, they let us bring her home. So we had this little picture of her at, at home, this amazing gift of this baby. And I love my daughter and this gift was beyond amazing, but you think about the gift that we receive called Jesus and the mercy and grace that he came to bring. The mercy and grace he came to bring. That little baby in the manger grew up to live a perfect life and went to a cross so, you could, so God's righteousness could be satisfied. God's holiness could be satisfied. God's knowledge could be satisfied and you could receive mercy and grace. It is amazing. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, Thank you so much for Jesus and for his mercy and his grace. My prayer for me and my prayer for all of us is that we would be grace people because people that are not grace people, they will spend their entire lives hiding from you. And it's not what you want. It's not what you desire. You want us to come out of hiding and to worship you. But if we don't understand that you're a God of mercy and grace, we will, like Adam and Eve, we will hide from you. And so I just pray that this would become embedded in our hearts and in our minds and that we would move out of the shadows and we would move into a state of worship, not just here on Sunday mornings, but with our whole lives. We thank you for Jesus and for his grace. It's in his name that we pray, amen.